everything in technology that you create, build, and experience turns out to be a valuable asset. Your impact is not just about the product you own, but also about the kind of product person that you are and you aim to become. What matters much is how you learn the hard things swiftly and mindfully. So how about a discussion on differentiating yourself, building a talent stack, and believing in technology values? Welcome to the podcast. I'm Aishwarya, your host. Everything in technology that you create, build, and experience turns out to be a valuable asset. Your impact is not just about the product you own, but also about the kind of product person that you are and you aim to become. What matters much is how you learn the hard things swiftly and mindfully. So how about a discussion on differentiating yourself, building a talent stack, and believing in technology values? Welcome to the podcast. I'm Aishwarya, your host. Let's welcome Linda Zhang, former product lead at Fair, one of the fastest US startups and the maker behind Product Lessons Initiative. A Harvard graduate who earlier worked for Bain & Company and Snapchat, Linda's unique product story is everything we'd want to know. Hi, Linda. It's great to be speaking to you today. Hi, likewise. Thank you for having me. All right. So you've had a very racing and a very eclectic career path, I should say. You know, you majored in biology and then went on to being a management consultant. And then you entered into the product space, just getting promoted within the short span of three years to a senior PM position. How has it all been? So could you just tell us your story? Yeah, totally. It's been quite the wild ride. Um, as you mentioned in, in the intro, I started my career at Bain in consulting, um, doing the business thing. And after a few years, I realized that what I was missing was the um, ability to actually operate and to see, to take something, take an idea from end to end and really figure out, did it work or not? Did the customers like this? Is it actually beneficial for the business? Um, and that's when I started looking in the technology space to really branch out and get more operating experience. Spent about a year at Snapchat and then found this tiny startup called Indigo Fair at the time. Uh, it was less than you know 15 people I joined as the second PM, and it's since scaled to um, a multi-billion dollar valuation. Um, the company is now over 250 people. So it's been a really, really wild ride. Um, and I've been able to learn a lot along the way. And it's it's been a really fun experience. But recently, as you also, I think, mentioned, uh, about a month ago, I decided to leave it all. Um, after you know almost three years, I realized that I've learned so many interesting skills. And the next challenge for me is really figuring out, you know, can I build my own dreams? I've gotten really good at building other people's dreams, but I think the next challenge for me is, you know, finding my own and, and seeing if I can make it out independently. That's really interesting, Linda. And uh, I really like this experimental approach that you mentioned, which made you, you know, shift from what has already been figured out to keep figuring out new stuff and learning new stuff on the way. So that's really good. And um, in fact, I have a quick extension to what you were just explaining to me. How is it to um, be a part of something that was more established, like say Harvard or Bain & Company that was already well large and established to moving into smaller startups? So what were your initial realizations and the quick lessons that you learned for yourself being so new in the PM space? Yeah, I think there are a lot of 
differences. <laughs> I think in many ways, Bain um, was a really good job for me right out of college because I had no idea what I was doing and I needed a structured environment to teach me and show me what was right and what was wrong. And so it, I actually really appreciated that type of setting um, mm-hmm. to kind of mold me into someone with, that, with zero background in business to someone who can actually um, carry carry their own weight with people who have a lot more experience than I do. So that was really good uh, background. But I think joining an early stage startup, um, especially as you know, a first time PM, it's just, it's completely different. I mean, you have to be, um, you have to quickly become comfortable with making decisions, even though you don't have all the information and you have to make them really quickly. Uh, Cause a startup, you know, your, your most precious resource is time. Um, and time is ticking very, very quickly for companies um, that are early on in their, you know, th- their development. And so, we just we just like went all in and, and shipped a, a ton of features um, over the course of the last three years. And so a lot of it was really just learning while building, learning by doing, learning by doing, making mistakes, um, figuring out what I did wrong and then correcting, hoping that it doesn't happen again. And so it was very much a trial by fire type of experience. But I actually think that it was, you know, in hindsight, it was it was quite good for learning product because it's not one of those things where you know, you memorize theories and suddenly you know exactly what you what to do. I think that actually product requires the reason why product is so hard to learn is that you have to go through the start to end of ideation, mm-hmm. coming up with the iteration, and you have to do it a lot of times before you really have a grasp on what you're doing. <laughs> And I had the good fortune of just, you know, going through so many different reps hundreds of times to really feel comfortable uh, with the role. Right. I think that makes sense. So not really having something as predefined, but trying to figure out a path for yourself and learn by doing stuff on the on the plane. So yeah, that's cool. Next, you know, one thing that caught me really interesting about your entire journey is how you also invested time in creating an initiative called Product Lessons and actually picked up more than about 3K people from the start of it. So how and why did you start this amidst your other demanding product job as well? Yeah, it's really interesting. So at the start of 2020, before the pandemic hit, um, I had made a goal for myself to start writing in public. And Mm -hmm. my original motivation was just, I think, the inkling in the back of my head that eventually I would want to go independent. Um, And to do that, you know, it's, it's useful to have a reputation that you built online that's independent of, um, you know, the schools you went to or the companies that you've worked for. And writing was just my medium of choice. Um, You know, for other people, it might be YouTube or something else. Um, But for me, I was much more comfortable with words. So for the first couple of months in in January, uh, in in 2020, I was writing in private, you know, just looking and and trying to see if I could find my voice. Um, But when the pandemic hit and I had a lot more free time, I just had no excuse <laughs> to not actually, you know, go public with with the newsletter. So I started product lessons initially as just a way for me to chronicle my own learnings. I have a really bad memory, so for me, writing things down helps me crystallize my thoughts and also helps me um, recall the things that I've actually learned. Uh, but along the way, I, you know, was really surprised by the number of people who reached out to me and have told me that 
This has actually helped them in their careers. And I think now I'm realizing that there, you know, very much is demand out there for, um, you know, for tools and, and actionable tips on how do you actually accelerate, you know, your own career in product management, but also beyond that. And that's, hope, you know, that's, that's the area that I'm focusing on right now. What started as writing for yourself slowly became writing for a set of people who also thought like you and who also wanted that kind of a network to, you know, belong. That that's really true, and it's it's so good that you were able to take it at that stage. And thanks to pandemic, it gave us the time. A little more into product lessons, and you were just explaining as to how you share stuff that you want to tell yourself about and stuff that you've learned across your product journey so far. I've seen you post about product teardowns or frameworks that you've used and learned from career advice and strategies as a part of product lessons. How do you, in general, plan and pick on what to teach and what kind of research is involved? And this is to anybody who wants to start their work on sharing some of your stuff that they know, but they don't know where to start or they don't uh, know how to prioritize. So how did you go through all of this? Yeah, I um, I think that I, I now have a better sense for, for what to cover. Um, mm -hmm. So about a week ago, I actually, for the very first time, uh, planned out a content calendar with right. you know what I plan to write about week to week to week, it comes out every Sunday. And so for me, it's been, it's been a relief to, ha to have a sense for the pipeline um, and to know that I, you know, I have uh, more stuff coming. I think the biggest indicator of what to, you know, what to cover is what do I know well and that I can actually speak to? I find that, you know, because the internet's such a big place, um, there's always bound to be some people who are interested in your particular journey. Um, and I think the best writing comes from really knowing um, and really having experienced the ideas that you talk about. And so I very much draw from, you know, what have I learned in the last, you know, five plus years of doing so many different roles? What do I wish I knew um, when I first got into product, when I first started my career? Um, the things that I wish someone had told me <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like how I, how I try to figure out, you know, what to address. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a good reasoning behind it. And uh, now moving on to one important and interesting section for me personally, because I know about this. You, you recently turned down a very lucrative offer from Instagram. It was about $375K in money. And, you know, it was one of a kind decision. Could you share that story? What made you do this? And what is your mindset or value behind building products? With? Because for a layperson or for somebody who's interested in the product space, the first uh, reaction to this is, hey, you turned it down. It seems like a very good offer. But what was the reason? Why did you turn it down? So mm -hmm. what really happened behind it? What was your idea towards it? Yeah, so um, maybe to give a little bit of context, it all started when a recruiter at Facebook had reached out to me about a senior PM opening. I think that she probably saw my profile on LinkedIn. Um, the irony is that years earlier, I had tried to be a PM at Facebook. I had applied to their right. um, PM program and I didn't even get an interview. And so the fact that the recruiter reached out to me, I was like, oh, like maybe this is my chance to see if I can actually get an offer. And that would be quite the comeback story for, for me personally. And so I wasn't actively looking, but I was like, look, if they're, if they're interested in me, I should entertain, you know, the opportunity. So I went through the full interview loop, um, did the prep work, 
um, met the team towards the end, they match you with a team. And I matched with one of the teams at Instagram. Um, and I was really impressed. I have to say that, you know, all the people that I met and the way that they, you know, pitched the role to me was all very compelling. Mm -hmm. I had gone in really thinking of it as like a curious adventure, like, oh, can I get this offer or not? Like, what can I learn from this experience? Um, I didn't expect to want to take the offer, but at the very end, I was very, very interested right. in the role. So I had done um, some benchmarking on the uh, compensation. <laughs> so right. I live in the Bay Area. People are obsessed with this. Like the, the compensation is very, very high generally. And so I wanted to do my research um, and I had settled on a number in my head, which was 400K. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a reasonable offer, a reasonable ask given the amount of money I'd be leaving behind at the startup there. Um, so most of my compensation is tied up in uh, private stock options, but you know it is very lucrative and I'd be leaving that behind. Um, and so I said to them, I was like, hey, I wanna sign and I'm gonna sign today, uh, but I have one ask which is, you know, I, I, they originally, originally gave me a 300K offer. I asked for 400K. Um, and that started, the team was really excited, by the way, the, the mm -hmm. hire manager was like, let's get it done. Like, we really want to hire you. And I learned through that experience that when, when someone makes an offer to you, they really want you to accept because they care about their yield, which is the percentage of offers that they extend that get accepted um, and the, the duration too. They want to like they want to shorten as much as possible because they pour so much resources into trying to close people. And they, you know, for them, it's like ASAP is the best. So I knew that's what they wanted. And I was like, let me tie this with <laughs> what I want, which is um, you know, a higher compensation package that would make me feel comfortable leaving my existing job, which is also pretty lucrative. Hmm. So I did that. That kicked off like a whole series of <laughs> tough negotiation. So it turns out there's like a compensation team um, that is like a check and balance here. And they basically set the, the compensation bands per level. And I was leveled in at L5 and 400K would have been like at the tippy top of that band, but it is possible. And I, I don't know of people who have gotten that for L5. It's not common, but it can happen. And so I wanted it to happen for myself. Um, but unfortunately, uh, what they told me from the compensation side was because most of my existing compensation at FAIR is tied up in uh, illiquid stock options, mm -hmm. they can't value it in the same way that they would value public stock. Right. So as a result, they said, you know, the highest possible offer they could give me was 375. And this was like after weeks of negotiation, we went back and forth and back and forth. And at this point, I was like, Look, the 370, it's a, it's a very reasonable offer. You know, it's nothing about the offer is a turnoff at all. But I think in the weeks that it took to get there, it made me question, you know, my own long-term motivations. Like I felt like this whole experience was a little silly in a way because at this point they had spent so much time talking to me um, and having different people reach out to me that it would have been cheaper if they just like gave me <laughs> exactly what I asked for because their time is precious too, right? Like their time is more precious than my time. And so the whole thing was like, it was, it was almost, it was almost just like a microcosm of what it would be like working in a bigger company. And I was like, do I really want to do this? Um, and then the other thing that it really came to the, uh, the top of my uh, list was really thinking through, um, you know, what do I want to do? 
long-term? Like, do I really want to spend another, you know, three, four years at, um, at a bigger company doing, you know, doing work that somebody else wants me to do? Or do I want to take the skills that I've built so far and see if I can, you know, make it out on my own and do things on my own terms. And if I can't make it, that's okay. I can always go back and be a PM again. But, you know, with, and I think that now is actually a pretty good opportunity for me because I can afford to, you know, to try this. And so that's basically like the, 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 I guess the long version of what happened. Yeah. I mean, um, two things that I find very uh, interesting and you know, very unusual here is a lot of us didn't think, uh, try to put that time into thinking, okay, so what matters to me in the longer run? What do I want to do? I'm so glad that you sort of got that revelation in a very unusual happening, which is during the negotiation with another sort of a bigger company where this space made you feel oh my god i don't really want this what i want is kind of different and this is this is exactly why i should be turning away from this and the second part is i'm so glad that you've done that research in terms of compensation because i find that to be a very you know demanding point when it comes to a lot of us as pms in this space that we need to know about our worth the kind of work that we do and we need to know that hey this is something that we are worthy of and this is something that i would speak up for myself so I, I guess that's an important takeaway for most of us in this space. And I'm so glad that you did that research and you sort of stood up for yourself and the work that you do. It's quite a story that you may want to look back and, you know, kind of have a smile on yourself and say, hey, I didn't choose that because I'm happy for who I am today. Yeah, I mean, I have no regrets and I'm very grateful to have had that experience, to have had that revelation, as you said. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, even around doing the research, I think at the end of the day, like, no company is going to value you um, if you don't value yourself, right? And so sure. uh, knowing your own worth and, and doing that research and continuing to build skills that help you, you know, increase your own market value and increase your optionality um, mm -hmm. in terms of how many quality option alternatives you have, you know, it's going to be important because that way you're not, um, you're not tied down to one thing. And if that thing doesn't work, you know, the whole thing, the whole house <laughs> breaks down. True. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, so a quick extension to this would be, I know you got this kind of a thinking where you realize that, no, I just want to go ahead and try for myself with the skills that I've learned. But what made you turn to entrepreneurship and not really like another bigger product or another launch? How did this entire, okay, let me leave the PM through and let me actually build something by myself came through? I think in some ways, um, COVID probably accelerated the process. I think that you know, earlier in the beginning of 2020, when I said, I want to start writing, um, I had a, a plan kind of that in 2021 or 2022, I would probably leave my job and try to do my own thing. Um, but COVID really pulled it forward and, and made me realize like, what am I really waiting for at this point? Like I am actually ready um, in terms of, you know, skills, in terms of savings, like I can go for this now. And um, there also comes a point where, you know, when you look at the next app, like once you figure out what it is that you want to do next, um, the next, the following question should be probably be along the lines of, am I learning what in my current job, am I learning what I need to make that next step um, possible? And for me, I had already spent almost three years at FAIR and I was still learning, but the things that I needed to learn for, for this next act 
would be things that I just have to do on my own. It wasn't going to be something that I learned yeah. at a growing company that's basically a growth stage, not you know a startup anymore. And so once I realized that, I was like, well, I'm really just biding my time. And I think 2020 and COVID has shown so many of us that you know time is is really limited and you should, you know, you should try to spend your time doing the things that give you energy. And for me, you know, it was no longer doing the day-to-day product work. It was, um, it was kind of taking a break and, and mapping out my own journey. Certainly. And uh, I think it's a decision for good. So um, all the best with that. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. I- I'm sure things would go well. So yeah, looking forward to it. So um, this is a sort of a you know concluding section of the session where if you had to sum up your product learning in five short statements or rather golden statements, what would they be? I think that the first one would be that the goal of shipping is not to ship, it's to learn. This was something that I, it took me a while to learn, actually, because I was so obsessed with doing things, but not actually figuring out the most important thing and like, how do, how do I move forward? So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is that all data comes from the same place, which is the past. And that can be very useful when you're improving existing products, things that already are out in the world. But when you work on brand new products, zero to one things that don't yet exist, um, oftentimes you won't have the data on hand. Um, and the data might be wrong because it's a growing market and there's no way to truly predict what's going to happen. And I think at a certain point, you kind of need conviction um, to move forward. The third is that customers may not know what solution they want, but they definitely know the problems that they do have. And it's the job of the PM and the, and the user researcher to really bring that to light and to really figure out you know, what is that problem and how do we put ourselves in their shoes to invent um, on their behalf. And probably the last one is just, you know, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. <laughs> I think I've made the mistake a lot in the past of, oh, yeah, like that actually sounds kind of interesting. Let's do it. And it's almost never been a good decision because things always take longer than you expect. And then the thing that's like you're mildly interested in takes up the time that you could have spent, you know, working with the team on something that we're really excited about. And so it's better to leave more bandwidth on your plate so that you can actually pursue um, the hell yeses in life. Right. So yeah, keep up learning and then follow your conviction. Be very problem-centric and don't be ambiguous. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> All right. That's that's really good to know. And yeah, definitely those things will come handy for us when we try to work in our day-to-day stuff. And uh, over to a rapid-fire round. So uh, what I'll be doing is asking you like a, a set of questions and whatever comes to your mind is the first thing you can tell that to me. That's it. Okay. So um, books or podcasts? Oof. Oh, uh, <laughs> I love them both. But if I had to only go with one, probably books, just because there are so many old books that are really good. Right. So um, one book that just off your mind now is the first uh, suggestion for all of us for 2021 something mm-hmm. that you really loved reading oh yeah um there's a book called Storyworthy that is incredible um and it's not your typical pm book but mm-hmm. i find that the best books about building products are written from a very like humanistic perspective and Storyworthy is um not only does he go through you know his whole 
all of his advice around how do you tell really beautiful stories. But I think it, it the biggest wake up call I had while reading that book was realizing that we all have story worthy moments in our lives. We all have interesting stories. And it's just about taking the time to reflect and, and, and see kind of the, the, the beauty in what you're experiencing and being able to share that with people. Yeah. Also, you just summarized the entire mission of this podcast, which is to bring out the stories from people. So that exactly kind of matches with the theme. That's awesome. <laughs> That's nice. So um, one person you would want to work with this year? Um, I think Shreyas, Shreyas Dashi on, oh, on yeah. Twitter. He's, he's quite incredible. So probably him, but I don't, I don't know. I've never really had a, let me do this one person. Oh, um, right. He's the name that comes to mind. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think he's been doing a pretty incredible job on Twitter with respect to sharing fame insights and uh, it, it's really good to keep reading his stuff so yeah i agree with you and this is the last one something that's so common that you've seen but you have not done as yet mm, i don't i don't know how to drive oh yeah can i do a high five with you yes um, you don't <laughs> drive either. yeah that's 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 a very good one actually and something that i also vibe with I mean, I just don't need to drive in, in San Francisco, but yeah, I, I keep saying that every year and every year I'm, I get no closer to learning how to drive. So yeah, true, true. I mean, I wanted to do this year, but uh, thanks to pandemic, I really didn't want to risk. 2021 is your year. Yeah, exactly. 2021 is the year for a lot of things. <laughs> That's great. All right. Um, thank you so much, Linda. I think today's conversation has really been fun and a lot of stories brought out not just with respect to you know what you plan to do uh, later with your entrepreneurial journey but also a lot of things that you learned uh, throughout the way and it's not just pm stuff but as you said those good stories that are worthy to be known of being an individual being somebody who loves to experiment and do a lot of stuff and learn by doing so thanks a lot for spending time and sharing with us those good anecdotes and i'm pretty sure that the listeners would also find it very interesting and something that they would take away for their work in their career. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. <laughs> Thanks a lot.